Good evening, y'all. Today is February 4th. Um, I'm going to be uploading this one a little bit later just because I want to space them out a bit. But this evening, I get the honor of talking to a friend of mine, another person from the gym. Um, I know I've been talking to a lot of people from the gym, but there are so many interesting people that I would love to learn from and get an idea of who they are, what they're about. <clears throat> so today, I get to talk to a friend of mine. Um, she is a lady badass, a lady boss, I would call her. She was 200, ranked 234th, mm -hmm. 234th in the world um, this last year in the CrossFit qualifier out of around 9,000 competitors. She is the CFO of um, iHeartRadio. Or is that Vice President of Finance? Vice President of Finance yeah. of iHeartRadio, and she runs um, offices where in San Antonio and in Austin. Yes. So she has uh, quite a resume. So please welcome Heather Wenner. Thank you. Well, Heather, <laughs> Heather. I know I've been asking you a bunch of times to do this. Yeah. <clears throat> but finally got to have a conversation with you. Um, so to start. Mm -hmm. So when I first walked into the gym, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you. My impression of you was this you were this lady badass who could definitely kick my ass. <laughs> and I would like I would like look and I was like even though like I've never had a bad interaction with you. Yeah. I would like look and just make sure like are we on good terms, you know? <laughs> just because you have this this um way you carry yourself where you're your business, you mean business. Mm -hmm. Um, and you go in there, you work hard, you're definitely one of the hardest working females there, I would say. Um, you've inspired me to work harder, to push myself. Um, and so to start, I wanna start with how did you become this person with the drive and the grit to continue to push yourself even when you feel like you're at your limits? Um. That's a deep question. Like that goes way back. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, you want to start with something lighter? No, it's cool. Um, I mean, I grew up on a farm in North Dakota. Okay. Um, middle child, right? The typical middle child. What kind of farm? Uh, mostly wheat. Okay. But um, cows. We had horses, chickens. I mean, it was a true farm where your parents were farmers they are mm -hmm. okay they still are I uh, well they're retired my brother has taken over the farm uh, but they still live there on the farm um, where I grew up uh -huh. so um, I think that's probably where most of us start is the the role models that we have growing yeah. up when we're really small and you know my dad um, as far back as I can remember um, if he wasn't farming he was um, working as a mechanic Mm -hmm. And uh, he actually worked at the Air Force Base just outside of Minot for a long time. Um, seasonal because farming was full-time during the summer and then he needed something to do during the wintertime. Mm -hmm. So, um, but always working, you know, you look at my brother now, he's an electrician and a farmer. So, I mean, and he, he does both year round, which is, you know, the amount of work that he does willingly, right? Yeah. He's not... He's not necessarily, um, he, he's chosen to be a farmer and that's really, really hard life, yeah. you know, and you see, and you learn a lot about life and death growing up on a farm. Mm. So, and my mom, um, comes from that same kind of background. You know, my mom grew up in the mountains, 
Um, when she was a kid, during the wintertime, her dad would take her and her brothers and sisters to school on a horse-driven sleigh. No way. Yeah. Whoa. Where did she grow up? Uh, in a small town called Botno, North Dakota. Okay. Outside of Botno. Um, so she was really, really out in the country. Uh-huh. Um, but they both grew up in that sort of a you know lifestyle, and they just carried on into their lives, you know, carried on the tradition. And, um, you know, that you can't. You can't help but sort of follow that path and have and and learn that you know behavior of yeah. just you do whatever it takes to get it done. Yep. You know what I mean. Yep. And that that comes from that. You know, it starts right at the beginning of of where I grew up. A horse-driven sleigh. That reminds me of my dad. He tells me uh, he used to walk ten miles uphill, <laughs> uphill in the snow both ways yeah, to get to yeah, school. Yeah. Yeah. But he was he was raised in in Brownsville, you know. It's like <laughs> ninety eight in winter time. No snow, yeah. So you grew up in a super cold climate, in North Dakota. Yeah, North Dakota. Yeah, we did actually walk to school in the snow. <laughs> there it is. It wasn't uphill, but it was there was snow everywhere. So, yeah, I mean it's it's frigid up there during most of the year. I mean it's three to four months of reasonable weather and the rest of the year it's freezing. I think right there plays a role mm-hmm. because like I was talking, I was talking to Marcus that I just, people like, and and Joe Rogan says this and I, I quote him all the time, but mm-hmm. people in cold weather climates, it's like they grow up differently. They grow up tougher because mm-hmm. they have to survive these winters Yeah, and there's no out. Either you're shoveling snow or you're stuck. Yeah. There's no other way around it. You have to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no quitting. Uh-huh. So did you did you grow up farming yourself? Um, I mean, <clears throat> I was on the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I learned to drive when I was seven, eight years old because I had to. How many acres did you grow up on? Um, we farm anywhere right around twelve hundred acres. Holy shit! Um, but a lot of it we don't own. We would rent from you know people around there. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, I actually the first eleven years of my life were in the house that my father was raised in. Ah. And I mean, it was early 1900s house, um, dirt basement, mm. um, warped floors, you yeah. know, like, like really old one bathroom. There were five of us in two bedrooms. Mm-hmm. I shared a, bro- a bedroom with my brother and my sister that was not as big as this dining room that we're in right now. It had a bunk bed and my sister and I shared a bunk bed, the yeah. top bunk for, you know, till we were too big to fit in the bed. And then one of us would sleep on the couch and we would rotate beds every night so i mean um you know we had to participate you know we had to go help move vehicles around and you know take meals out to the the um the guys in the field during harvest and planting and stuff like that rock picking cleaning out the tree rows you know i didn't do like the driving of the tractors and but i drove trucks you know grain trucks and stuff like that since you were a little kid Mm mm-hmm yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What What else did you do? So you did that, and then up until you said you were eleven. Well, and then we moved into a new house. We built a house, so okay. it was bigger, had more room. But we Same. literally just moved across town, closer to our shop where all of our machinery were, and that's the house that my mom and dad are in now. Mm. Um, but I mean, they continued to farm. We continued to farm. So. And you helped. Mm-hmm. So you had this this hardworking instilled in you Mm -hmm. I Uh, hated it yeah (laughs) you know it's interesting and it's like a lot of times um we hate it at the time right 
not realizing when you get older that you appreciate what mm-hmm. your parents pushed you through right. or made you work through because it instills this idea that like shit's not going to get done unless you do it. Right. Be, own yourself. Be, be yeah. you know, take account, be accountable to yourself and do whatever it takes to get whatever it is done. And mm-hmm. you apply that, you can apply that to anything in life. So what was it like growing up in North Dakota? Um, like your friends, what was the, the culture like, small town vibes? Very small town vibes. The town I grew up in um, still to this day is about 200 people. Jesus Christ. Um, and I think this is a small town here. <laughs> the school I went to was actually two, two towns together. So we had elementary school, um, kinder through sixth grade in Burlington, which was about 10 miles away. And then um, seventh grade to twelfth grade was in my town, which is called Delax. Um, the high school from grade seven to twelve was about three hundred and fifty kids. Um, my town was only two hundred yeah. ki- uh, people. So uh, a lot of the kids lived out in the country on farms and stuff like that too. So my graduating class was forty-seven people. <laughs> I knew everybody, probably yeah. from most of them from the time we were in kindergarten, because most of us came up together. Yeah. Um, so it was, I mean, there's, there's good and bad to that. You know, I look at my son now who's in a high school of 3000 kids, you know, his, his grade is bigger than my whole school from seven to 12 was. Um, there's good and bad to both of, you know, you, you, you have more options in the bigger school and the smaller school you, you make do with what's there, you know, you, you make friends, you figure out how to get by and, um, but very small town, very clicky, um, you know. Uh, typical gossipy everybody knows mm. everybody's business yeah you know yeah, yeah. so was there much diversity no none um, we had a couple of uh, Native American kids but um, other than that no mm. no not at all what about what did you do for fun uh, <laughs> is that the story just come up in your head or what tell it no I'm just trying to think of what I mean we used to just ride bikes around town and um, you know, when I was younger, before I was in high school, it was there was a group of kids in town. Luckily, we had a, a good group of kids that were all around my age, my, my sister's age, my brother's age, because we're, we're all three two years apart, right? My brother's two years younger, my sister's two years so older. Two siblings. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were a bunch of kids in town that were all about our same age, and so we all just hung out together. We'd play kickball, we'd play football, we'd ride bikes around town, play cops and robbers, you know, all that fun stuff, which is honestly one of the things that I miss now, not having that for my kids, because I think about all the things, you know, when I was a kid, I would just go out and get my bike and go ride my bike all day, yeah. you know, and hang out with my friends and... and you know, get outside and do stuff. And we live in a place here where that's not really feasible. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, it's so spread out and it's so rural that, you know, it's five, 10 miles just to go see a friend and these roads aren't safe for kids to be riding bikes on. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we, we just hung out outside all the time, you know, especially obviously during the summer, during the winter time, we'd go ice skating, we'd go sledding, uh-huh. I mean, building snow forts in our yard and, I remember one year we had a huge snowstorm and my dad would get the tractor and, you know, clear out the driveway and he pushed all the snow up into the garden area, my mom's garden area next to our old shop. And it was probably 10 feet high. And we made, built an igloo into the side of it. Like we dug tunnels down into uh-huh. it and made this whole fort and then we dumped water on it so it froze solid. Whoa. So it was like you could run and like dive into it and slide down in and shoot out the Whoa. other side. <laughs> 
we had a lot of fun, yeah. you know, when we were little. You know, when you get older, that kind of weather and climate gets a little bit annoying. And you've lived through it. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, yeah. So, and then when we got older, it was, you know, hanging out with friends, Dragon Maine, you know. That's interesting because, um, like you're saying, there, there may not have been much to do as far as outside activities Mm -hmm. not outside essentially but like outside your town Mm -hmm. but being bored brings out the imagination in you Mm -hmm. it brings out the what can we do to have fun yeah and you create your own fun so Mm -hmm. like a lot of times i think about this too like um we think about like kids in other countries right and i know this may be going off on a tangent but we think about kids in other countries who don't have what we have Mm -hmm. but not having what we have they're able to Find a stick, find mm-hmm. a rock, play mm-hmm. baseball. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's still, it's all relative. You're able to have fun with what you have. And I think that's important, like getting away from the technology we have. Be bored for a while so that you can figure out, use your imagination for ways to entertain yourself. Yeah. We had a lot of old machinery out in our cow pasture, like old tractors and stuff like that that clearly didn't work anymore and, you know, was basically just a big junk pile out there. And we used to go play spaceships out there. You uh, know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. make believe they were these crazy spaceships and I mean we we had amazing imaginations back then making do like I said with whatever was around you, you ever know? see any um, crop circles and all that stuff no <laughs> aliens no. no 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 we burned a we burned a crop circle with fireworks one year out at a friend's uh-huh. house and shot off a bottle rocket and it landed in, a, in the tall grass behind their machine shed uh-huh. and we were all out there with shovels <laughs> stamping out the fire because it just perfect circle yeah fire circle right behind the shed so you think crop circles are it's all just people just pushing i don't know i don't know i i think it's ignorant to think that we're alone in the universe for sure so you ever maybe you ever see anything in particular nothing exciting so when did you get out of there uh so marcus and i um got engaged uh in 96 Wait, so you lived there up until y'all got engaged? Mm-hmm. Okay. We got married there and then we moved away. So you, did you go to college yeah. in North Dakota? Mm-hmm. Where'd you go to college? Minot State University. Ah, small school or big school? Very small. Mm. Yeah. And you played college volleyball? Yeah. yeah. Right on. Yeah. I played, I played high school, um, high school ball. My sister actually got me into it. I was a cheerleader in middle school. <laughs> um, but my sister convinced me to try out for volleyball my freshman year of high school. And I actually made varsity um, in the first year. Oh, shit. So I played with my sister. She's two years older than me. So we, um, I, I played mainly B, but I, I, I played, um, it was like backup varsity my first year. And then my sophomore year, when she was a senior, we actually won the state championship. Damn. And both of us played in that whole tournament. So I was back, I was, uh, during that period of time, I was defensive specialist. So I played back row for our big middle hitter. Libero. Yeah. I was a libero too. Yeah. And, uh, and then after that I was a setter. Um, and that's what I actually got scholarship to go to a university for was for setting mainly. Okay. Um, So you got a scholarship. I got a partial scholarship. Yeah. Uh, Not a full ride, but. What'd you go to school for? Accounting. So you actually used your degree. I did. Oh, what a surprise. I did. I actually, I took my first accounting class when I was a junior in high school, and I was really good at it. Mm, and so I liked it. Always been a numbers person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and puzzles. Interesting. Yeah. 
So um, at that point in time, I remember talking to my teacher at the time, and he's like, we were going through, you know, what accountants do and what they can make. And like, accountants can make $40,000 a year. And I'm like, that'd be awesome. I would love it, you know. And it was something that I loved to do, and I was good at it. And I was yeah. like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and it's funny because my sister was also an accounting major. She got her degree as well. Um, she started working at a bank right out of high school, or right out of college, and uh, she still works there. Same bank. She's moved around to different places, but I've had conversations with her before because banking is different than accounting. It's a different kind of finance, if okay. you will. Um, and she's like, "What?" She would always ask me about my job after we moved down here because that's the main reason we were trying to get out of North Dakota is because okay. there's just no opportunity up there as far as at that point in time. Um, you know, the school we went to was known for being a business school. And so, you know, every year, a couple hundred accounting majors would graduate and there were a handful of CPA jobs and that was pretty much it. There was mm. really nothing up there. And I, so I knew we were going to have to move away if I wanted to actually do accounting. Yeah. Um, and my sister, after we moved down and I started working at what is now iHeartMedia, she's like, what are you, what all are you, do, what do you do in a day? And I, you know, I'm like doing journal entries and balance sheets and P&Ls and, you know, all this stuff. And she's like... I wish I could do that. That's yeah. I mean, that's what I went to school to do. Yeah. And I was like, you're not going to be able to do it if you stay here. Like, mm. you got to you got to decide what do you want to do. Do you want to stay close to home or do you want to branch out? Yeah. yeah. And she's like, why would I leave here? This is my home. And I'm like, well, that's where you and I yeah differ for sure. a little bit. <laughs> for sure. So yeah, I mean, that's the that was the whole point. Um, there was an op- obviously Marcus being in biology and wanting to be a zookeeper, work at SeaWorld. When we, right before we got engaged, we had talked about moving to Orlando because that's where his grandmother and his uncles lived at the time, and we knew there was a Sea World there. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time we got married, his mom and dad had moved to Amarillo, um, and we found out there was a Sea World in San Antonio that we didn't know about, and so we're like, might as well go to Amarillo, be close to your mom and dad, finish up school, and then you can try to get a job at Sea World in San Antonio. Um, but we knew we had to leave. Like we, we moved to Amarillo even and looked at the one ads for like accounting jobs like posted in the newspaper mm-hmm. and there were two pages and I was like, this is why we had to leave because yeah, there's, there's no way I was going to be able to do what I wanted to do if we stayed there. Yeah. There's more opportunity mm-hmm. here for sure. Yeah. So when did y'all move here? We moved to uh, San Antonio in 98. You've been in this house the whole time? No. No, we've been around. Really? <laughs> well, part of the, what, what was your so first So when we stop? first moved here, we got an apartment um, in what I like to call the ghetto, mm-hmm. uh, Perrin Vital in 410. So okay. you know where uh, Cowboys is? Nope. Right, the 410 South Cutoff? Nope. Nope. Okay. If, if, you're, if I'm going to look at a map yeah. of San Antonio, mm-hmm. is it like the north side, the west side? No, it's like... It's like West Central. Okay. So it's just west of the airport. Gotcha. A ways. I know where that is. Um, yeah. So it, it was right on the corner was the strip club. Across the street was the Chinese <laughs> buffet. There was a pawn shop right in front of our building. Like it was yeah. the ghetto. Um, and uh, we were there for about five months and then we found a house to rent. So we moved into a house, which was just a little bit farther away, closer to the airport, but more of a residential area. Uh-huh. Um, and then we built our first house in 2000, which was right across the street from SeaWorld because he had started working there. And that it was all new, like there was nothing over there at that point in time. So we borrowed money from my mom and dad for down payment and um, built a house. 
And uh, we lived there for five years. Dalen was born when we lived there. Um, and then I got an opportunity for a promotion that paid what both of us were making at that time, but it was in Cincinnati. Okay, let's rewind a little bit. <laughs> let's rewind. <laughs> Moving here? Yeah. Did you come here with a job? No. Okay, so how did you go about getting your, did you, was your first job here at iHeart? No. Okay, so what was your first so, job? So um, I, I got signed up with a temp agency and I worked at what was at that point called Shamrock Federal Credit Union. You know where um, the big, uh, is it Valero? Yeah. Right there by UTSA? Yep. That used to be called Diamond Shamrock. Okay. And it was in that building. What is Diamond Shamrock? It's gas, oil and gas. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was in their credit union um, and I worked there for like three months. And uh, Marcus got a job at Land or Joe's Crab Shack on the Riverwalk. And so I would go down there all the time and um, somebody mentioned that they were hiring an AP clerk. And so I interviewed for that and they hired me for that. So I actually worked for Landry Seafood Restaurants for about three and a half years. Um, I was an AP clerk for about what three is, or four months. What's an AP clerk? Accounts payable. Okay. Um, for about three or four months and then they promoted me to an accountant even though I was still going to school to finish my degree. Okay. Um, Wait, so you you didn't graduate college in North Dakota? No. Nope, you came here to finish? Did. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting story as well. Well, tell me about <laughs> Well, when we originally moved to Amarillo, we sent all our Wait, transcripts down. Wait, so you moved down. to Amarillo first before you came to San Antonio? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. No, I'm no going out of order. So yes, we moved to Amarillo because that's where his mom and dad were. Okay. So we moved to Amarillo. We transferred all of our stuff. They assured us, yes, you you will both, because we both only had a year left. They're like, yes, you will graduate within a year based on your transcripts, blah, blah, blah. When we got there, the story changed. And they mm-hmm. said, well, actually, in Texas, we require more core education classes, mm. which is the bullshit you have to take at the beginning, the yeah. intro to psych and biology and shit like that. Um and so, uh, and we weren't very smart at that point in time from a financial perspective, and we okay. were paying out of state tuition. So we went there for a semester, um, and it was looking like it was going to take a lot longer. We were like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's take a year, take the rest, the second semester off. We'll be in state at that point because mm-hmm. we lived here for a year, and then we'll just sign up either, you know, wherever we are, because at that point we had decided to move to San Antonio. Okay. So we're like, we can go to UTSA when we move to San Antonio and sign up in the fall and we'll just work for the spring and the summer and then sign up for classes in the fall and just do whatever we need to do to get it done. And so, um, so that's what we did. And then, um, I started working at Landry's, um, as an accountant and I worked like I said for three years I finished my degree actually I didn't even finish my degree while I was there because I was working full-time and taking classes part-time so it took a lot longer yeah um, and I sort of hit the ceiling on that job where I was doing more than you were getting paid for I was doing more than I was getting paid for and I was doing more than everybody else and then my boss started giving me shit about <clears throat> my time because I had to leave at a certain time to go um, to class it's a whole drama um, so I found another job which I was Clear Channel so I had a friend that I had worked with at Landry's who had gone to Clear Channel and I reached out to her and I'm like hey are there any openings she's like yes you should apply I'll give you a reference all this stuff and so I got hired at Clear Channel um, that was 2001 it was actually two weeks before 9-11 mm. um, that I started working there 
And uh, um, at that point, I had decided I was going to go back to uh, Minot State and say, what do I need to do? Like I reached out to the dean of the accounting department. I'm like, this is who I am. These are my transcripts. I need an accounting degree. What can you do for me? What what do I need to do? Because I need my degree to say accounting or else it does me no good mm -hmm. in my profession. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the nice things about going to a really small university is they actually correspond with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he reached back out to me and he said, well, based on the current catalog and what you have already got, you need three senior level accounting classes and these are what they are. I go, okay, now here's my second problem. I'm in Texas and you don't offer distance learning. And they said, take them down there, we'll transfer them back up here and issue a degree. Mm, okay. So I took, took them at Texas State um, in San Marcos uh -huh. uh, and took the first semester in the fall right after I started working at um, Clear Channel. Uh, second semester, I had one class left, found out I was pregnant in the middle of that semester and got promoted at my job. They're like, it's dependent upon you finishing your degree, but they went ahead and promoted me all at that same time. So. I got through the spring semester, got my degree issued um, the year that he was born. Ah. And uh, I've been with Clear Channel, which is now iHeartMedia. I'm going on oh, 18 years. Holy crap. Okay, so how old were you when you got hired by them? 26. And you got hired as what? A staff accountant. And then you moved up? <laughs> to senior accountant. Um, so you went from staff accountant to worked how long? About three months. Okay. And two, they promoted me to a senior accountant. Uh, then I was a senior accountant for about two years, and I got promoted to a senior lead accountant. And then about three and a half years in, I got the job offer in Cincinnati, which was a regional controller, a corporate, a corporate finance job, um, which entailed supporting several corporate entities, um, digital, uh, creative services team, uh, traffic team, and also helping to train in new market controllers in all the markets across the country anytime they hired somebody. And this is all for radio, correct? Yeah. Yep. And uh, so we moved to Cincinnati. Oh, shit. Yep. I didn't know you moved to Cincinnati. For two years. Okay. That's where Taylor was born. <laughs> oh. So yeah, we lived in Cincinnati. They moved us out there. Um, that's when Marcus became a stay-at-home dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he quit his job at SeaWorld where he had been for six years, which in, you know, that conversation, his time there was sort of winding down because of political issues with bosses and things like that too. Mm -hmm. So it was the right time for us to make a change. Um, we were optimistic. We thought Cincinnati would be like the best of both worlds, not crazy hot like Texas and not crazy cold like North Dakota. Um, it's beautiful, but, um, the winters suck. Just it's as just, bad as North Dakota? No, they're, it's different. It's a different kind of suck, oh, right? Okay. They have tons of ice. Mm. And it melts during the day and it freezes at night. And it mm. was just yuck all the time during the winter. Um, and, you know, we had a two-and-a-half-year-old. Um, we didn't know anybody. It was hard to sort of socialize with the two-and-a-half-year-old. And my job required me to travel frequently. So um, we never really settled in very well there. It was yeah. it was kind of hard. It was a rough couple of years. And actually about a year in, I started looking around for a different opportunity because I don't want to stay there forever. I was like, I can't do this. Already like I can't do this indefinitely. Um, yeah. And it just so happened I, um, I was about to fly out for an in-person interview for a job with some medical company um, in Fargo, North Dakota. 
and our they made our company made the announcement that we were being bought out by a private equity firm. And so my bosses got me on the phone and like, hey, well, first first things first, I had been given stock options as bonuses various times throughout that three years I was in that position. Um, and all of a sudden those stock options were about to get paid. And so I couldn't walk away because it was a huge chunk of money that was going to make our lives a lot easier. So at that point I was like, I can't, I can't leave. I have to wait and see this through yeah. and get that payout. Um, and so my bosses actually reached out and they're like, so this presents us with an opportunity. Where do you think you want to be? Um, and I was like, what are my options? And they're like, well, you can either stay there or we can move you back to San Antonio. I said, sign me up. Okay. And they moved so, us back. But you still got the mm-hmm. the same position? Same position. I just did it from San Antonio. It didn't, the thing was, it didn't necessarily need to be in Cincinnati. That's yeah. just where it was. Gotcha. And so they just, to make it easy, they just filled it. They moved me there. Yeah. But they're like, you know what? You don't need to be there. There's no reason for you to be there. Why don't you move back? You can be here, be part of his team here. And, and that was in 07. Okay. And in 08, at the beginning of 08, was when I got recruited to move over to the operations side, which is where I've been for the last 11 years, um, and which is sort of the my boss um, at the time knew that I wanted to be in a market role because I had, and my all of my corporate roles, I'd interacted with a lot of the market folks. Yeah. And it just felt like a really cool vibe to be actually in the market, in with the you know the radio personalities and the salespeople, just to be in that atmosphere of operations. Um, and over my course of being on the corporate side, I knew that's not where I wanted to be long term, because um, it's just a different vibe. Yeah. Um, and I cuss like a sailor, and that doesn't necessarily fit with <laughs> that uh-huh. vibe. So um, she sort of fast tracked me and. The region president I'm working with now was actually the guy that brought me over, and he was good friends with her. And she said, "I have this girl. If you're looking for someone," and so she hooked us up. And then you turned into a lady boss. That's right. You've always been a lady boss. <laughs> so, what is your current position? I am vice president of finance for our Austin and San Antonio branches. So, what does that consist of? Um, basically overseeing the day-to-day operations at both locations. And um, this is what, of the radio channel? Radio stations, yeah. We gotcha. have we have eight of them in San Antonio, and we have six of them in Austin. Uh-huh. Um, so it's everything. It's, it's, you know, working with the engineers on tower sites, maintenance and things like that, working with everybody on any sort of personnel issues or hiring, reorganizing, um, anything you- financial, pretty much, but also... Um, I collaborate a lot with my region president on just everything, everything so that we do. Projects need money. Yeah, I mean it's it, you help it's, make decisions. It's not yeah yeah okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what you're basically steering the company in the right directions for the right financial decisions, right? Right. For growth. Right. Yes. So how many people do you have under you? Uh, directly under me, just one. Okay. Um, Indirectly, just an analyst, but um, we've got. 120 some employees between the two locations, full-time employees, and then another 40 or so part-time employees. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, my daily function in my role in Austin, San Antonio, is you know my my region president who is over our both markets um, lives in Austin, and he's based out of Austin, so he's in San Antonio a day or two a week. Um, like I was just in Austin today. I go to Austin every you Tuesdays. Go back and forth. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and when he's not in San Antonio and I am, then I'm the decision maker. Ah, I see. So it's just, you know, it just depends on who is where and what's going on. You know, he and I have worked together for on and off in for 11 years. Okay. Um, and we, we built a pretty, pretty solid relationship as far as, um, you know, he brings me in on everything that needs to have a decision made because he wants to consult with me. He appreciates my objective perspective. And, um, you know, we, we've made some pretty cool things happen over the last 11 years. So and I'm assuming you trust his decision making just like he trusts yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, um, being in the position you are, mm-hmm. how did you, one, have the drive to get to that position, but also two, leverage yourself to get to where you are? Because I think that um, in today's society, mm-hmm. it is seen that more and more women are being put into leadership roles, mm-hmm. into um, onto boards and companies. Mm-hmm. I've heard that certain companies, um, what is it? Maybe Goldman Sachs, mm-hmm. they won't take a company uh, IPO. They won't take a company public mm-hmm. unless the company has like a woman on their board mm-hmm. or uh, um, two people of diverse cultures or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So like being somebody who is a woman mm-hmm. and in a higher position, have you always seen yourself as like, fuck the barriers. I'm going to do what it takes to get to this high role. Mm-hmm. And I'm just as good as any other guy. Mm-hmm. How did you keep that in mind that like you can do just as well as yeah, anybody yeah. else? Um, so <clears throat> I've, I've always been um, very um, curious, like when I, and especially in my career and ever since I started working with Clear Channel, iHeartMedia in working with radio stations, it's just understanding how things work. Um, and so I always ask questions and I never afraid to ask a question, even if, you know, I never say this might be a dumb question. I'm just going to ask a question. Um, sounds a little bit like myself. (laughs) I ask some of the dumbest questions and you know what, at the end of the day, it's, it's just learning. Yeah. And it's never like, I, I, it would be great to say that I, I absolutely have this in mind. My business and my organizational structure has changed almost annually every year in the 11 years I've been in it. Mm-hmm. So there's never been a goal. The, the opportunities just present themselves and the opportunities present themselves to the people who participate. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've, I've kind of come to be one of those people, like my, my favorite thing to say, because we change, that's we're constantly evolving, we're constantly making changes to how we operate. Um, and, and one of the things that I've actually, you know, sort of coined in my conversations with some of my staff and different people that I have to try to get to come with me is you you will either participate in the change or you will become the change Mm. that's how it works so what you have to because a lot of people really struggle with turning the corner on just doing something different not because they don't want to do it or because they don't like it it's because they don't know Okay. And what they know they're comfortable in and they're confident in and they feel safe in. Yeah. Um, and we've had to make a lot of hard turns in the 11 years I've been in this role um, or in, you know, on the operation side. And um, I've participated in a lot of projects that made my job at the time obsolete. Mm. But I knew that I was participating and that there would be something, whatever it was on the other side, that I would be a part of that because I contributed and I, I helped 
further the cause yeah you know and help help with that evolution of where we needed to go uh-huh. so that forward thinking and that ability to just sort of put your own interests to the side and look at it more objectively of what's the best thing for us to be doing where should we be going what what should it look like and how do we get there yeah um and i've always taken that opportunity i've been kind of lucky because i'm in san antonio and that's where our corporate services are all of our it folks the people developing new systems and new tools and helping us to do things more efficiently so i get to get brought into those conversations a lot more but mainly because i've raised my hand so much throughout the course Mm. of my career like i'll help i'll do it i'll help you know so you've always taken on tasks with the idea of like I may not be ready, but I'll figure it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's important. Mm-hmm. Super important. Yeah. Kind of like adapt as you go. Right. And you have to be able to do that. So is San Antonio the headquarters? So our executive offices are now in New York. It used to be. When it was Clear Channel, everything was here. And just all the radio markets were all over the country. But executives and, and shared services and everything was here. They moved our executives to New York. But it's too expensive to move you know, the 600 people we have here in San Antonio doing IT and all of our corporate services, HR, legal, all of that. Uh-huh. Um, so that remains here. That's the building that I work in um, because we moved our radio stations out there last year uh-huh. um, into a new facility. Hey, Marcus. Sorry, <laughs> I never said hi. <clears throat> so y'all, so. so you moved, say that again, I'm sorry. So our radio stations moved over to the corporate office into a new facility that we built um, last year. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so another question for you. Mm-hmm. Being um, a lady who's in charge, mm-hmm. how do you go about leading your teams and have you ever faced somebody who was like resilient towards you because you're a female? <laughs> um. So, yes and yes. So, um, leading teams uh, is, I've had a lot of different um, iterations of my role over the last 11 years. I had a point in time where I was um, supporting an executive who was overseeing Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, and Austin. Um, And so I got to participate in that. Um, And then working with other market presidents who um, were a little bit, resistant to letting me lead Mm -hmm. Um, and ultimately at the end of the day one of the things that I've learned in working with a lot of male executives is that um, and I don't want to as a woman you have to make them feel like anything that happens or any good idea was theirs and there's a way you can do that yeah. without saying it, yep. right? Like you can still have the idea, you can still own it, you can still be the one who comes up with it. And the way you sell it through is by convincing them it was their idea, basically. That reminds me of a book. I'm sorry to cut you That's off. Okay. I'll let you continue, but that reminds me of a book that I read. It's called Never Split the Difference. Mm-hmm. And it's about how to negotiate. Mm-hmm. And the way to win at negotiations mm-hmm. is to get the person to tell you the deal that you want. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of my old bosses said at one point, you know, from a finance perspective, um, our job is basically to politely tell them to shut up their ass, you know, like, uh-huh. but you say it in a way that makes them feel good about it. You know mm, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's just, it's all in the negotiation mm-hmm. and it's everything is a negotiation. Absolutely. Um, you know, leading teams from my perspective um, is, um, it's, it's leading by example. It's, okay. it's, you know, being able to sit down and give somebody all the information they need to be able to do whatever it is. And also, you know, it's not just do as I say, don't do as I do, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it, I'm, I'm going to be just as willing to get my hands dirty and get eyeball deep in something that I probably shouldn't have to, to figure it out. Because at the end of the day, we're all here um, trying to accomplish the same goal. So we all have to be willing to get our hands dirty. Yeah. Um, you know, we, uh, I'm about honesty and I'm about accountability. And that's, those are two things that... Um, you know, I struggle with at times, you know, I, I actually have, um, some younger folks, you know, your age ish that, that work for me. And it's very different communication wise with Mm. those. I've had uh, a girl and now a guy and, um, it's, it's definitely a challenge, um, with the generational gap. In what ways is communication different? Because I'm curious of like, if I were to go into that position, mm-hmm. how can I be better in working with somebody above me and communicate right. well? Right. Um, the and and I've had this conversation with a counterpart of mine who also has a a younger had a younger person working for them that she struggled with. And the one thing that we came together on with regards to the challenges we had with them was retention, just not retaining information um having it's like groundhog's day right same questions same issues like we just had this conversation um so trying to figure out how to really enforce that you know it's really important that you remember these things you know take notes you know put reminders on your on your calendar whatever it needs to be but i can't be the the backstop all the time you have to be able to do these things on your own yeah um you know that that piece of it and um just a very almost an aloof sort of mentality what does that mean aloof? um just very like i don't care like okay. it's not a big deal it's no big deal you know what i mean and i think coming from a generation of potential overreactors you know that's that's maybe just how i see it um they don't they're not concerned enough mm. not to the degree that i feel like they should be or at least showing me so that I can feel comfortable that they're going to handle whatever it is. Gotcha. You know gotcha. what I mean? Yeah. So um, it's like talking with my son. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you read books? Not often. So like in in becoming and being put into a leadership position, did mm-hmm. you read books on it, or has kind of just been practice, 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 learn from your mistakes, be accountable? Mm-hmm. Um, or did you like was there ever a point in your life because like for me I feel like I'm going through a point in my life where I'm trying to change my perspective and become mm-hmm. like a better leader a better mm-hmm. listener a better mm-hmm. communicator um, was there ever a point in your life where you really tried to in, try to transform yourself mm-hmm. to become a better communicator to become a better leader so one of the things that I've always been told and my husband will attest to this is that um, I come off very condescending when I talk to people. Mm. When I'm trying to educate or trying to help somebody understand something. It's not about what you say. It's, it's about how, how you say, say it. it. My whole life. Oh my God. I've heard that from my brothers so yes. many times. And so it was actually one of my first bosses at Clear Channel. 
Um, and I've had I've had some pretty great mentors in mm-hmm. my career. Um, Warren Taylor was the one. He was the controller that I worked for in uh, in broadcast accounting when I first started with Clear Channel, and uh, and he was great. And he never made it negative. He's just like you just need to work on it. Like yeah, you're and and the issue at the time was most of my job required me to talk on the phone to somebody who was halfway across the country in a market about their P&L or journal entries or something that we were doing. And uh, there were a couple of other women that, and it was always women that had a problem, right? It was uh, always women. Um, because, you know, we're all battling for recognition. and women. Yeah, control, <laughs> right? And, so, and it was. I, I never had, um, at that point, I never had a complaint from a man that I worked with. It was always with a woman. And it was with another woman who was very strong-willed and smart and mm-hmm. and you know, when you're talking to somebody on the phone, all you get is tone. Yeah. That's all you get. Yeah. You don't see body language. No. Yeah. You can't see their face. You don't know who they are. Like, you don't even know their face, what their face looks like. So, um, so yeah, I had a couple of conversations early on in my career in that regard of you just have to really pay attention to how you're saying things when you're talking to people on the phone. And, um, you know, the the second level of that career, which took me to Cincinnati, where I was working with executives in New York and... Um, you know, that just sort of expanded on that. And that's where, it, you know, you, you, I always think about it. Every time I'm having a conversation at work with anybody, yeah. I always have to stop and set myself and make sure that if I don't want it to come off condescending, that I turn it off or yeah. I, I control it or I say it in a way that is less intimidating. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm an intimidating Personality. It, it comes with the territory. <laughs> That's something like... I am. I mean, like, it's, it's just who I am. Like, if yeah. I'm not smiling, I look mad. Yeah. It's just... Resting RBF, yeah. It's just who I am. And that's not something I can control. Yeah. You know, and I can't control how someone else perceives me. So I try to, but that's almost sexist, right? Like, you should smile more. You should be, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't go that far to be like, I'm always happy, you yeah. know? Like, but I've, I'm lucky to have been in an environment where I've worked with most of these people for a long enough time that they all know me pretty well. Yeah, uh-huh. They know that I have personality and that I have a sense of humor and, you know, we all get along. But yeah, I mean, I still have to battle that and I still think about it all the time. That's definitely something that I've like come to learn and see from you as well. Going to the gym, mm-hmm. always, you always have a serious face. But then once I get to know you, I'm like, Heather's a sweetheart. You, know? you just got to <laughs> talk to her. You just got to get to know her. Um, <clears throat> so being in the radio field, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a question here. Okay. If you don't want to answer, don't have to answer. How does it look and what is the like the outlook and the future of radio? I feel, and I could be completely wrong, mm-hmm. radio is becoming obsolete in a sense that radio stations... FM 86 point whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. AM blah 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 mm-hmm. is it is it slowing down is it just as popular it really is listenership is just as popular it's not slowing down really at all it's a very very common misconception that uh-huh. it's getting that it's dying you know but if you look at listenership for the last 30 years it hasn't changed mm, where people are listening is what has changed. So, so how how is that changed? So about? digital, you know, okay. you're listening on your phone or you're listening 
um, on your computer or on a smart speaker yeah. or wherever you are. I mean, and that's what we're, as an organization we strive to do is to be everywhere that our listeners want us to be. Um, so we're just we're just making sure that what we have is available everywhere. Like I can listen to on the iHeartRadio app. I can listen to my favorite alternative rock station out of Denver in my car on my way to work every day. Uh-huh. And the cool part about it is, you know, with the technology that we have, I can get served ads that are relevant to the location that I'm in. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, so it's absolutely evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not dying. Changing for sure. How do you compete with, with streaming services? Like for music, right? Uh-huh. How does a company such as iHeartRadio compete with streaming ser- services like Apple Music, Spotify, well, we have the app, right? Okay. And you can pay for subscriptions that will get you those same sorts of services on our app. Mm-hmm. The only thing that we give you that they can't give you is the radio stations mm-hmm. and our plethora of, well, the podcast too, because we purchased the company called How Stuff Works. Okay. Um, which basically. Ooh, How Stuff Works, that's a podcast. Yeah. Okay. It's a company. Oh, okay. Um, so we purchased them two years ago, I think. Um, and so if you if you actually look, we are the largest podcaster in the in the country. Whoa. So you can get all that on our app too. Okay. So that's that's how we compete with them because first of all, um, on the app you can hear not just our radio stations, but you can hear almost any radio station yeah. from anywhere in the country, uh, wherever you are. You can, um, if you decide to, you want to pay for a streaming service, you can pay for the app and get, you know, it can do the same thing Pandora can do where you can create your own stations based on a person or an album or a song or whatever you want. Yeah. Um, you know, we have all that same functionality that they have and on you, our app. And you serve how many different cities? Uh, basically nationwide? It's nationwide. I mean, we have 150 markets nationwide, but the app is everywhere. Okay. Yeah. We own radio stations in 150 markets, but the digital mm. aspect of it, that's anywhere. Yeah. So. Okay. Another question for you. I just, I have to ask questions. <laughs> um, so talking about, you know, you've had this grit and stuff and um, you're obviously in a high position and you had to work and be consistent in hard work to get there. Mm-hmm. What is your daily routine like and what is the importance of your routine and how it has not only shaped who you become, but also, I, I know like a routine, like successful people mm-hmm. are seen to have routines. Mm-hmm. What is that importance like to you? Um, and what is, what is your daily Yeah, I mean, daily, I'm, I'm the first one up in this house. <clears throat> what time you wake up? Um, I get up at about a quarter to six. A quarter to six. Why don't you just say five forty-five? What's the deal? People? It's quicker to say quarter to <laughs> six. Sometimes, like five forty-five is longer. A quarter to this, and I'm like doing the math in my head. Like, oh, come what? on! <laughs> it's like my kids can't read that clock behind you because it's the got Roman analog. <laughs> um, I get up at about a quarter to six. Usually, have a shower depending on the day. Um, and uh, Marcus gets up at six. The kids get up. We get Arden up because she has to be at school earlier than the other two. So I drive her to school. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gets up. We come downstairs, have coffee, make breakfast. Um, that one goes and has a shower. The other one finally gets up about seven forty-five. <laughs> um, sorry, six forty-five. Um, I mean, it's not the same every day, but it's. 
I mean, that's pretty, pretty much, close to consistent. Pretty close, yeah. Arden and I leave the house at seven fifteen. I drop her off at school. I go to work. Um, start work at eight o'clock. Um, I usually take a walk uh, a couple of times in the afternoon, just depending on how busy my day is. So breaks during work and take mm-hmm. a walk. Interesting. I walk around the parking lot at okay. my office just to get up and move. That's good. That's um, a good habit. I sit at a desk all day. And yeah. I yeah. usually, if I don't, I'll I'll leave work with two thousand steps. So mm, okay. I need to. And it just gets my blood flowing and it wakes me up. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually go work out um, at least three to four nights a week, depending on the week and how busy I am at work, which means I have to leave work at five to make it there by 530. Mm-hmm. Uh, that for me, honestly, is the make or break of my week. That keeps you grounded, huh? Well, it just keeps me moving. Gotcha. Um, I've, I've been out. For the last three weeks because I've had an issue with my hips so I've been going and having them worked on and um, but I had weird pain I didn't know what it was um, but it, it sounds like I'm just a little twisted up deep down in my my uh, muscle tissues so mm-hmm. um, so I haven't been working out for the last three weeks and I can tell the difference emotionally physically ah. sleep wise yeah um, and Marcus even says you need to go work out mm. like he can tell um, yeah. it just keeps me moving it keeps me feeling good and um keeps me motivated what's your diet like um i am eat a lot of real food i don't eat a lot of processed food um i don't drink sodas um you know in the mornings usually i'll have egg whites and turkey sausage and just depending on the day because i'm on a I'm macros? on a rhythm. I'm on a rhythm. Yeah. So I have macros, today yeah. was my high day. Um, nice. I have a, that's why I have a banana right here. <laughs> I started doing macros and like my low days, my yeah. my carbs was like forty six or something. That's low. I know. And I had an apple and it was like thirty five carbs. I'm like, what the fuck? That's all I could have. You have to get good at low days. Oh yeah, you do. I'm getting I'm getting spot on. Yeah. Like I'm I'm like within ten usually. Good. On all my numbers. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I usually, when we cook what we have, like I was just putting the leftovers away and I made up for lunch tomorrow. So I don't go out to eat. Yeah. We have food trucks at our office, which uh-huh. is kind of nice. Um, Monday it's like a salad truck, which is really awesome. Uh, and then Wednesdays is a burger truck, which has a really good chicken sandwich. Gotcha. But usually I just take my food from home. Mm-hmm. So the consistency of your days, do you notice that days where you're not consistent in the times you wake up? The days are just different and you're off. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And and it's more so with um, the food and the working out yeah. that makes it When off. did you join CrossFit? Um, started going there in 2012, but officially 2013. And was Komal the first box mm-hmm. you ever joined? So Marcus actually started there right before I did. He, he, started, he found CrossFit when I was about five months pregnant with Arden. And so he went and did a paleo challenge and lost 20 pounds, and I was has carrying around 30 pounds of baby. Yeah. So, um, and shortly after I had her, he started coaching over there. Okay. And went and got his level one, and uh, so my postpartum was I would go. He did he did a workout class for soccer moms over at VIP gymnastics <laughs> for a while. And so I would go there, like right after Arden was born, just to try to build up my strength. And then he, I would go with him on the weekends and do CrossFit because he would coach on Saturdays. And so I sort of 
gradually started doing it, but I wasn't officially a member and I wasn't paying for it. Yeah, yeah. That was under the old ownership too, so it was a little bit wishy-washy as far as keeping track of that kind of stuff. But then, um, so that was mostly 2012, and then 2013 I officially became a member, started paying and doing all that stuff. So here's a question I like to ask people, and the reason I ask is because I feel like I know mine. Mm -hmm. What are your passions? Okay. I don't know if I ever thought about that before. Before a family, mm -hmm. what were your passions? I don't think I thought about it. I was, really? we were just, so you have to understand, we didn't have much. Okay. Like we, there were points in time where we were just trying to get enough money to buy milk at the grocery store. Like, so there wasn't really time for daydreaming. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, but, so it was but always. not necessarily daydreaming. Like what, I know. like for me, like. My passions, like I love camping, mm -hmm. and that's not something that's very expensive, right? You know, or like I love fishing. Mm -hmm. What is something that in your free time, if you had something that you had the opportunity to do, what would you be doing? I would go hiking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I can never get any of these people to go with me. Mm. <laughs> Have you done the rocking at all? Yeah, I did baton a few years ago. Oh yeah, that's twenty six. Yeah. How was that? That was an experience. Tell me. Uh, From well, your eyes. so, and I was actually talking to Rachel and um, Amy tonight because they were up there doing box step ups when yeah. I left. Um, so I got a whole month's notice. Real quick, for anybody who doesn't know, I've talked about this before, but yeah. the Bataan Death March mm -hmm. is a 26.2 or a marathon mm -hmm. through the desert of New Mexico with how many pounds? 35 pounds. 35 pounds in your back. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um,. Brandon and Lee reached out to me and Angie Simmons about a month before Batan because they had all these people and they wanted to put together a girls team and they needed two more people. So Angie Simmons and I did two rucks, a 10 mile and a 21 mile, and then we did Batan. Jesus Christ. So we didn't train much. Um, it was, I mean, it was, it's mental. It's, it's mostly mental. As long as you take care of your feet and, you know, any of the rubbing that happens, which we did. Um, I only ended up with a couple of small blisters, one on one toe and one on the back of my heel. They never popped. They were just little tiny, you know, mm -hmm. so I did a pretty good job of that. But man, it was a beating. I yeah. mean, it was, it was nine hours of, um, you know, there was a six mile stretch that was just uphill on a, on mostly on pavement. So it wasn't like scrambling to get up, but yeah. I mean, it was a lot. What'd that teach you about yourself? That I'm mentally stronger than I thought I was. Yep. Because that's all it is. At the yep. end of the day, it's a mind fuck. Yep. And if you can't get your head right and and know going into it that it's going to be a long fucking day, you know, that's that's what makes or breaks you in those situations. It's You have to have the mental stability and the mental fortitude to get through it. Yeah. And again, comes back to that, this is what we're doing. There's no quitting. Yep. Finish. Get I it think done. More people need that mindset because yeah. people don't realize what they're capable of just because they're scared. Right. Once you get over the fear and mm -hmm. you just throw yourself to the wolves, right? Then either you fight the wolves or you die. Right. And you're not gonna die out there. Right. You know. No. What I mean? Yeah. There was people. You just everywhere. fucking do it. Yeah. And it was. I mean, it was. It was sort of at the peak um, for me. At a peak time for me. Um, that it was right at the in the middle of the open that year. Um, and they, that was the year, the, one of the workouts was, a it was a 10 to one of 
dumbbell squats and burpees over the bar. And then with the rest of the time, you had to do a max clean. Mm-hmm. And I got 35th in the world oh, shit. on my clean because I cleaned 205 after I did that one. God damn, girl. So I was riding pretty high at that Hell point. Yeah. And then here comes Brandon and Lee, all complimentary, like, you should do it. You're so badass. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Stroking the ego a little <laughs> bit. So that helped. Yeah. And I was initially like, no. Like, when they first asked me, I said no. And they're like, you can do it. I'm like, I know. I'm, I'm certain I could do it. I just don't know that I want to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, I'll go do a 10 mile and see how it feels. You know, I've never rocked before, so I had no idea what to expect. Uh, and Allman yeah. borrowed me his, uh, his army rucksack. Uh-huh. So I had a legit, you know, metal frame. frame, you know, and it was, it was nice and comfortable. Um, so yeah, it, it was an experience. I'm glad I did it. I won't ever do it again. Mm-hmm. I'm certain of that but um i am glad i did it 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 it's just another one of those little tests you know of of um for me mainly the mental aspect of it because you don't have to be strong to do those things you don't have to be physically strong to do those things you just have to be willing to do it yeah and just get through it do you ever feel like you have and i'm correct me if i'm wrong but do you ever feel like throughout your life you have a chip on your shoulder to succeed because you're a female or does that not play a role I, I never think about it in that regard. Okay. It's just who I am. Yeah. Um, I'm a lot like my dad. Okay. Um, and and he's I just ref, I, I just look at it as being stubborn. Mm. You know what I mean? And and honestly, being for me in where I grew up, being the middle child. Okay. Um, you know, my sister and my brother are both very smart, both very athletic. So I always felt like I had to be better. I always had to be better. Yeah. Because they were better. Yeah. And so I was always trying to keep up and trying to live up to what they did, you know, because we did all the same things. We played basketball, volleyball, track, you know, went to the same university. Like it was me and my sister. Um, So that piece of it is just more about who I am. It's just that's who I've always been. I've always been the one who's always had to work a little bit harder to get that kind of success. And I always that's just who I am. So you have an older sister mm-hmm. and then a younger brother. Mm-hmm. What's the age differences? Two two years. So she's okay. two years older. He's two years younger. But the fact that he was a boy, he was able to keep up with you, even though you're older than he's him. bigger than me. Um. <laughs> Quite a bit bigger than me. Uh-huh. Um, he's uh, and you know with him, I wasn't I wasn't trying to beat him. Like he was good in his own regard. He yeah. did different things, but um, he was he was. Uh, he was like the little conscience, like little devil on my shoulder. Not the devil, kind of a devil. But he was always giving me shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, and that kind of fueled the fire a little bit too. So That's good. Yeah. I think that's important. They say that growing up with siblings siblings um, teaches you the importance of like competition because you're mm-hmm. always around somebody who's trying to, if you have an older brother or something, mm-hmm. trying to beat you up yeah. or yeah. toughen you up. or yeah. Definitely. So what's next? What do you got next? Anything you're training for or yeah, any big projects I mean, you're working on? I got close to the qualifier last year, so that's what I'm working on for this year. Is Are I'm, you back to healthy? Uh, I'm getting there, um, and I feel like I have a lot of time uh-huh. to uh, to get there. So I'm uh, I'm getting an alignment, an adjustment done on Friday, but 
I've been working out the last couple of days, not feeling any soreness or anything like that. So I'm being careful right now. You but, stretch a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's the Open's in October, so I've got time. Yeah. And I'm, once I I'm, I'm feel like I'm fully, you know, out of the woods with whatever this is, um, then I'm planning on ramping it up pretty, pretty hard. Gotcha. Um, but that's really all. I didn't want to. There's always so many things going on and so many competitions and different things, and it just everything gets so chaotic. Yeah. And I just want to focus on this one thing. There's lots of things I need to do for this one thing mm-hmm. to get to where I want to be. So I'm trying to simplify a little bit this year and just focus on that one thing, and which is the open. The open. Yeah. And I mean, we're we're taking a family trip in June. Um, to do a four-day trek to Machu Picchu. Oh, shit. That's our Christmas present. So nice. that's a 27-mile hike in the jungle. So that is another thing that we're doing as a family this year. Y'all going to have a, uh, what do they call them? The people who lead you, the guides? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing it with a tour company. And the, the guy who owns the company is actually was actually one of the guides that Marcus had when he did the trek four or five years ago. Oh, okay. So it's a guy he knows that is he trusts so so yeah we'll have a whole crew of people right on yeah so let me ask what's the deal with the tesla next level is the future or what it's awesome i think everybody should have one badass it's badass it really is and it's um you know like my electric bills are like maybe five to ten dollars more like it's okay for charging yeah because we have a charger in the garage Uh um no so so essentially five to ten dollars more and you're Spend no money on gas. No money on gas. And really very little on maintenance. Um, Mm. Just because there's no engine to maintain. Right? You have to maintain the tires. I have to put wiper fluid in it every now and again. That's about it. I mean, there's not a whole lot that goes into that machine, which is amazing. Do you see yourself Um, getting another? Like an SUV? Absolutely. Yeah? For sure. Not for a while. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Got to pay for this one first. But yeah, I mean, they're awesome. It's a... comfortable it's it's roomy enough like i can we we can all fit in it it's they're a little big for it but um you know it's better than the car i had before have you seen tesla's stock i haven't looked it's insane yeah within the past six months it's gone up like 300 something percent yeah basically it so their talk there's i've watched the stock market all the time yeah yeah tesla stock tanked in like september Mm mm-hmm and since then, it's gone on a tear, and it's now worth more than GM and Ford combined, and it's getting up to Toyota's market cap, I guess. That's what I heard. That's but awesome. It's crazy. It's yeah. it's fascinating to see that, like, electricity is the future. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, there's lots of, um, there's still a lot of negativity around that, too. Like, my father-in-law has made comments about how um, that the the manufacturing place where they build these cars puts out more carbon yeah, yeah. emissions than you know your car would over a lifetime or something like that. And it's like, you know what? At the end of the day, until we get all people using renewable energy, yeah. Like that's irrelevant because there's yeah. it's going to be that same way to make the other cars too. So mm-hmm. I'm just driving a car that is more environmentally friendly. And it's also interesting, <laughs> it's like, if we were to look into the future and say like, what's the future gonna be like? Mm-hmm. 
a hundred years from now, mm-hmm. we can say the smartest thing, I feel like I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but the smartest thing to do is harvest solar. Mm-hmm. So why not start now? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. If that's what the future is, yeah. why not start now? Right. You got to start somewhere. Yes. You have to be willing to go down that road. And Elon that's, Musk you know, is fascinating. And I'm sure. Yeah. He's a smart guy. Fascinating how <laughs> he just has an idea and he starts the project. Yeah. Like when they were doing the tunnel from LA to yeah. San Francisco, mm-hmm. the way he started was, hey, let's build a tunnel. Okay, someone go get me a tractor, please. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to dig a hole. Yeah. And they dug a hole. Yeah. And they were like, we'll worry about all the permits and all that shit later. Yeah. Let's start. Yeah. That's what's cool about him. That's awesome. Do you have anybody that you look up to as far as like innovators or like leaders or anybody in the business industry that you're like this person or are you your own hero (laughs) no really i think it's important because i think people need to recognize that when they put in hard work Mm -hmm. pat yourself on the back you know Mm -hmm. what i mean Mm -hmm. if nobody like for example i'm assuming there were people that thought like she's a female she can't be in a lead position and you were like fuck your judgment <laughs> i'm gonna put the work in and, and i've gotten here you know right you can right. be your own hero so like yeah. do you have anybody look up to you obviously your parents for yeah. instilling the hard work but right not really <clears throat> i mean i'm i'm not i'm, I'm kind of in my own little bubble most yeah, of the time that's good you know i i have these people these small people i have to i'm responsible for i'm trying to make sure that we're putting the right kind of people into the world yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i mean you could say i'm a i'm a little bit i'm proud of myself you of know course. um i've done a lot in my lifetime so far and um pretty much on my own so i feel pretty good about that right on do you have any before i end this do you have any favorite quotes that you like to live by or anything that in your head is like this is a good quote i wish i did no nothing Not really <laughs> all right well thank you and thank you for always pushing me thank you for being somebody i look up to in the gym and inspiring me and keep doing you keep being a badass awesome thank thanks, you thanks heather thanks appreciate it <laughs>